There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday, May 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. Tonight on The Readout. I was so offended the minute I read page one of Trump's filing when they were asking for that absurd trial date of April 2026, because on page one, they cite Powell versus Alabama. The Powell case involved nine African-American teenagers, ages 12 to 19, who were accused of sexually assaulting a white woman. They were arrested, arraigned, and forced to go to trial in less than two weeks without qualified counsel in a death penalty case. Glenn Kirshner last night on this show pointing out the absurdity of the idea that Donald Trump is just like a persecuted black teenager in the 1930s as the right pushes a laughably racist narrative that being an accused felon gives Trump street cred with the blacks. Also tonight, Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones is again silenced by Republican House leaders for passionately fighting for gun reform after a mass murder at a Nashville school. Representative Jones joins me tonight. But we begin tonight with a weird trend that we've noticed coming out of MAGA Republican world. This is a party, after all, whose base is overwhelmingly the same demographic that gets its news from Fox. So let's just say not super diverse. But since Trump came along in 2016, they keep insisting that because of him, Republicanism is booming among black people, despite there being no evidence of that. And as Donald Trump's troubles have gotten more intense, Republicans are leaning into a new twist on this narrative, namely that Trump being an accused felon has broadened his appeal with black voters. I think this is endearing, especially many black men, to President Trump. As one black lady I spoke with earlier today here in New Orleans said, Trump's a gangster. And that means he has cred among a new block of voters that perhaps have never given him a serious look. And now they're looking again. Black Americans throughout our history have felt unfairly victimized by the system. Historically, there's some truth to that. The mugshot unintentionally created a bond between Donald Trump and black Americans over the weekend. With the help of mugshot merchandise, the Trump campaign raked in over seven million dollars. Today, my garbage man told me he's buying mugshot T-shirts for everyone he knows this Christmas. Oh, bless your heart. Good to know, Jesse Waters, that some of your best garbage men are black. I mean, come on, y'all. Y'all don't really know any black people, do you? None, right? None. I figured. Waters went on to claim uh, to further prove his genius point that a new mural is on display in the inner city in Atlanta celebrating Trump and paying homage to the mugshot. Except that the mural by artist Chris Veal, who's white, by the way, is not on display in the inner city, but rather on the lovely Atlanta Beltline East Side Trail, where you're much more likely to find a jogger or a latte drinker than the boys in the hood. The mural also says as a new acronym for MAGA, and I am quoting with apologies to the saints out there, MAGA, my ass got arrested. 
Note to Jesse and friends at Fox, all of Atlanta is not, in fact, the inner city, nor is every place where black people live. Black people literally live in the suburbs. Mm -hmm, They do. And the idea that black voters will switch to Trump because of his arrest and mugshot is so amazingly racist, I don't even know where to begin. But this wild narrative is happening at the same time MAGA governors are banning black history with the help of the modern day version of the Daughters of the Confederacy, Moms for Liberty, while MAGA media world is literally co-opting the very injustices against black people in the Jim Crow South that they are making illegal to teach and grafting that history onto themselves and Donald Trump, making themselves and Trump the real victims of discrimination and the criminal justice system. Another example, in a lame attempt to delay Trump's federal case to 2026, his attorney cited Powell versus Alabama. That's the landmark 1932 Supreme Court decision that overturned the convictions of the Scottsboro boys. Nine black teenagers and young men who were falsely accused of raping two white women after they got into a scuffle with white teens on a train car. That is the case, by the way, that led blues singer Lead Belly to coin the term stay woke, meaning watch out, black people. If you come down south, there's racists down here. You really can't make this up. That's the origin of woke. The Supreme Court in that landmark case noted that a defendant who is charged with a serious crime must not be stripped of his right to have sufficient time to advise with counsel and prepare his defense, which those young black guys with barely any legal counsel didn't have. Fast forward to today and the highly paid legal team representing super rich former president of the United States, Donald Trump, is equating his alleged crimes trying to steal an election by scapegoating black voters and poll workers to a group of black teenagers who were rushed to trial and sentenced to death by an all white jury without a shred of evidence against them. That comparison is so ridiculously offensive. It could only have come from, well, Trump, who's trying to steal the veil of black oppression and drape it over himself like a Superman cape. And he isn't alone. Conservatives who are banning black history are also pulling the same steel. They are seeking to co-opt the history of oppression, particularly as meted out to black Americans, and apply it to rich, white, straight Christian men. It's literally they who are oppressed. It's a coordinated effort. The foundation of All Lives Matter, the Great Replacement Theory, and book banning in Florida, Arkansas, and other red states. The whole idea that white Christian Americans are under siege in school curricula and kids' sports and college admissions when Rudy Huxtable gives out business grants everywhere. Forget critical race theory. It's critical Trump theory now. And it doesn't stop with just co-opting black oppression. No, no, they are trying it with hip-hop culture, too. Remember back in the 1990s and early aughts, it was a normal thing for rappers to name check Trump as a symbol for wealth and power. Nelly, Young Jock, and of course, Kanye, who later as the MAGA hat wearing yay, would be used by Trump to convince black voters that he wasn't racist. Trump in the Oval Office even pardoned Kodak Black and Lil Wayne. See, he's on your side, blacks. The irony, of course, is that His hip-hop avatar was based on a media-constructed lie, like Cribs and The Apprentice. Trump was never a billionaire. He wasn't a real estate king either. He just inherited a lot of money, lost it, declared bankruptcy five times, and still got bank loans because he made himself famous. And his track record for racism goes back to the 1970s. So in that sense, he was doing what some rappers do, playing a role. 
And Trump's electoral strategy to win over black voters, or at least pretend to, to make white voters feel better about him, failed. But now it's a legal strategy, too. He's even hired lawyers who defend rappers in court while yelling, defund the police. It's like they finally understand that systemic racism is real and systemic oppression is real. It just isn't real for anybody but Trump. Joining me now is Reverend Al Sharpton, president of the National Action Network and host of MSNBC's Politics Nation. And Katie Fang, former Florida prosecutor, MSNBC legal contributor and the host of the Katie Fang Show. Thank you both for being here. Rev, I do want to start with you. We are literally a day off of the actual anniversary of the March on Washington. And apparently, if you let Trump people tell it, the March on Washington was about freeing Donald Trump. Like they're literally trying to take everything that has happened in real life to black Americans and say, that isn't real. You can't teach that in school. We've made it illegal for you to even talk about it. None of that systemic racism is real. But all the things black people have ever said about systemic oppression are true, but only about this one guy. Your thoughts. Well, I think that when you look at the Powell case being misused in this fashion, let's not go back to the 1930s. Let's go to the 1990s when five young black and brown young men were falsely accused of raping a white woman in Central Park. It was Donald Trump that took out ads in the papers in New York saying they should get the death penalty. So they want to cite how blacks have been abused by the criminal justice system, cite the case where we marched and eventually it was proven, these five young men that Donald Trump called on to get the death penalty was in fact innocent. So we don't have to go by history, go by Trump's history and go by what he did. The only case of race in the criminal justice system that I've ever seen Donald Trump stand up for in New York where he's a native was where he called for the death penalty of five innocent young black and brown young men. That is the answer. And black men need to know that they were all young black men. One spent 13 years in jail. He was with us for the march on Washington on Saturday. Let them come and tell the rappers and others that are being seduced by Trump what he did in his hometown to innocent black men while we were marching around their innocence. So they're going back to the 30s because they can't go back to New York where he discriminated against black housing and where he discriminated against these five young men and helped cause their uh, long sentences that they were innocent of all along. And that is coming from somebody, by the way, y'all, who knows Donald Trump and has known him for decades. Okay, so he's not saying what he thinks. He's saying what he knows is uh, when when it comes to the rev. And Katie Fang, I give you blacks for Trump. Let's just talk about blacks for Trump for a second. Okay, you know, Trump pardoned two rappers and, you know, you would have Jesse to to take it from Jesse Waters. He's a hero of hip hop culture and the blacks love him. Right. Because there's a mural that actually is insulting him in Atlanta because Jesse Waters thinks Atlanta is apparently the hood. Um, There's a gentleman named Harrison Floyd who styled himself as the leader of blacks for Trump, who took himself down to a state where he doesn't live. He lives in Maryland went down there to try to intimidate two black women, a mother and daughter, who were just poll workers, who Rudy Giuliani was lying about and accusing of stealing a whole election in the state of Georgia, intimidated them along with Kanye West ex-publicist. And and they are now, along with a Lutheran pastor who is white, accused of, in that case, in this RICO trial. He was the only one not out on bond until today. 
He was in court. There's video of him. We're not going to play the sound of it, but you can see video of him essentially pleading uh, broke with the judge because out of all of those defendants, he was the only one who didn't get out on bond because he allegedly uh, brutalized an FBI um, official who was trying to serve him a subpoena. So, so, so where, where are blacks for Trump? Have you heard any, any, you know, friend of the court <laughs> filings from blacks for Trump and Trump loves well, the blacks? No friends of the court filings. And, you know, Joy and Rev Al, I'm glad you brought up Harrison Floyd because nobody is excusing his behavior. There's a reason why he was being held longer than everyone else. But it is notable that he is one of the only black defendants in that Fulton County case. One and two, he was one of the only defendants that actually stayed in court longer than everyone else because he couldn't get a bond. I think, Joy, the problem is this. It is an insult to a community of color for Trump and the MAGA Republicans to suggest that there is some type of honor in co-opting this mantle of oppression as your Chiron reads. Consider the following. It's not hypocrisy. And I want to emphasize this because it's kind of went, I think, by the wayside a little bit because the headlines have been so big. But there have been four deaths in the Fulton County jail in one month. Four deaths. But that jail, Donald Trump and the other co-defendants, they just spent no time in there, right? They negotiated their bond orders. They went in and lickety split, they got out. So for Donald Trump to literally capitalize on a mugshot, when mugshots are not badges of honor, we all know that when you see somebody in the back of a police car, the first thing you think is to yourself, what they do wrong. It's not, were they wrongly arrested? Were they wrongly put into custody? The first thing you always think when you see somebody, and it's typically a person of color in the backseat of a police car, you think, what'd they do wrong? So for the MAGA and for Donald Trump to think that they can now parade a mugshot, make millions off of it, dupe their followers into paying money to buy you know, merch, to be able to support this man when it's an insult to the intelligence of communities of color to suggest that they believe that he is some type of folk hero now because he managed to get a mugshot. Mugshots are not badges of honor. It doesn't mean that the person did anything wrong. But in this instance, we do know that Donald Trump did something wrong by trying to subvert the outcome of the 2020 election. And, and you know, and, and I will 90 uh, percent agree with you. They can be a badge of honor in one sense. And, and Rev, you've been arrested in Vieques protesting for right. You've been arrested in civil rights marches. You're a civil rights leader. And so you go back and you think about people who were arrested in the 1960s. John Lewis's mugshot is a badge of honor, but it's what he was being arrested for. He's being arrested in order to protest in, for people to be able to vote and to have civil rights. Donald Trump wasn't arrested for, <laughs> for protesting for civil rights. Donald Trump has been accused of stealing national security, including nuclear secrets. He has been accused of sexual misconduct against a woman, and that's a civil case. He's been accused of attempting to steal an election and, and conduct a coup. The idea that black people, simply because he was arrested, are going to gravitate toward him, I actually, you know, it's almost so creatively racist that I'm almost impressed that they have all come up with this. And on Fox, this is their new talking point. They think black people like criminals, and that's what they think of black folk. They even think Atlanta is a giant criminal stew of, 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 of the hood. And therefore, any mural in Atlanta has got to be pro Donald Trump and has got to be black people lining up to praise him. It's what they think of black people. The reason that they can't get black people to vote for them. 
Well, it, it is part of the criminalization of blacks. They see blacks, all black, as criminals, and they feel that we all will, in a knee-jerk way, go with criminals. No, we go with those that we feel are falsely uh, being criminalized and try exactly. and cannot defend themselves. Secondly, we deal with the fact that on the other side, people that have done crimes against us rarely have been punished until of late with George Floyd and Ahmed Aubrey. But thirdly, there is a silver lining to this, George. If they raised a lot of money on these mugshots, but 91 counts, let's see if they raised a lot of money when they put an orange suit on him, <clears throat> if he is in fact convicted. Yes. I do want to play a really quick uh, tape for you, because this was, you know, another person who trades on black culture, exhibits anti-blackness, brags about trying to get Don Lemon fired. But then he wants to, like, be in hip hop. I'm not even going to play his silly rap because Eminem's already done dealt with him. Here is Vivek Ramaswamy back when he was pretending to just be a regular person <laughs> back in a year. You will remember, Rev. Here's the clip of him on Hardball, Hardball College Tour, actually. Good. Let's get to my question here. Go ahead. Reverend Sharpton, hello, I'm Vivek, and I want to ask you, uh, last week on the show we had Senator Kerry, and this week, and, and the week before we had Senator Edwards, and my question for you is, of all the Democratic candidates out there, why should I vote for the one with the least political experience? Well, you shouldn't, because I have the most political experience. <laughs> I got involved in the political uh, movement when I was 12 years old, and I've been involved in social policy for the last 30 years. So don't confuse people that have a job with political experience. What do you make of his act now, Rev? I think that he is disingenuous. Uh, if you look at how he was, that was 20 years ago when I was running for president. But look at I voted for the primary, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, and, and when you look at his book recently, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, he was taking shots at Donald Trump. So clearly he is like Trump. He will say whatever will fit his agenda at that time. And he clearly is one that you cannot take seriously because he's not serious about standing up for something. Uh, when I saw the tape this morning, uh, I, it, it reminded me that I was telling him social justice and fighting for civil rights is uh, providing community service and public service. Doesn't have to be in office. He's provided neither. He's neither been a public official or been involved in any public movements. It's all been about private selling of him. And uh, for the Republicans to act like he is some credible person that has a background on anything other than self-promotion shows the state of the Republican Party. And apparently he only voted like twice that election for a libertarian and one other time. Uh, last question to you, uh, Katie. There has been an interesting development. Uh, Rolling Stone uh, has reported, and this is their reporting, um, that there have been inquiries from Jack Smith about whether Rudy Giuliani was drinking. We know this did come up in the January 6th hearings uh, when he was giving the advice to Donald Trump about stealing the election. How legally might that be relevant? It's drunk advice is drunk advice. And if you're going to take drunk advice, you can't say that you relied on the drunk advice to your detriment. I just wanted to say one quick thing, Joy, and I apologize for hijacking that question a little bit. The oh. thing about Vivek Ramaswamy that people need to realize is he's taking a playbook out of the GOP. 
He's actually, as a minority, trying to drive a wedge between communities of color. And that's what they do. They try to pit minorities against minorities because they know that if they drive a wedge between communities of color, it's easier to co-opt them. It's easier to take advantage of the divisiveness that can exist. And so it's incumbent upon us to ignore people like Vivek Ramaswamy, laugh at him and say that he's a nothing. I think the other critical thing is this, too. The hypocrisy that we're seeing when it comes to the mugshots, et cetera, and what you and Rev Al have been talking about is it's a, it's not okay for communities of color to protest in the street. It's never okay for us to do that, but it's okay for you to protest on January 6th and, you know, defecate in the United States Capitol. But that's okay for you to do. So it's okay to be arrested and be mugshotted, but if you're a minority, it's not okay to be arrested and mugshotted. So one, thank you for the grace of, of reminding me and others that mugshots can be badges of honor when they are achieved in ways to be able to achieve social justice. And two, I am going to correct you because Donald Trump has been found liable of sexual assault. And you said he was accused. And I want to correct that record and say Bam. he has been found liable by a jury of his peers of sexual abuse. So that's the only thing I'm going to say. But ignore ignore the drunk people. Ignore the drunk lawyers. That's all I'm <laughs> because, look, she said that sober, y'all, because, right, you got to take good advice from people who are coming at you the way they're supposed to come at you. And there will be another trial. E. Jean Carroll gets another bite at the apple because he also allegedly defamed her. That's in January. Bloop. Reverend Al Sharpton, Katie Fang. Thank y'all. We both we love these friends. Thank you guys both. And up next on the readout, Republicans in Congress doing about face on defunding the police. Defunding the police. Now their dear leader is in trouble with the police <laughs> revealing rundown of their efforts to obstruct and delay Trump's trials. When the readouts continues. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. In a last-ditch effort to help Donald Trump avoid trial, his makeshift legal team on Capitol Hill, a.k.a. House Republicans, are quite literally attempting to, and I kid you not, defund the police. But not for everyone, of course. No, no, no. Just for the twice impeached, four times indicted, liable for sexual abuse, former president. NBC News is reporting today that with the deadline for the government spending bill quickly approaching, Trump's MAGA cronies in Congress are not focusing their energy on politics that, I don't know, would actually help the constituents whose tax dollars pay their salaries. Nope. Instead, they're using government funding as an opportunity to hinder the federal and state prosecutors who have indicted Trump. Congressman Andrew Clyde of Georgia, for example, says he will introduce two amendments to eliminate federal funding for special counsel Jack Smith, as well as the Fulton County and Manhattan district attorneys, Fonnie Willis and Alvin Bragg. 
Meanwhile, Congressman Matt Gates is pushing for legislation that would flat out cut off funding for Smith's office, an effort that is supported by de facto House Speaker Marjorie Taylor Greene. And then you have Congressman Jim Jordan, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, who just last week opened an investigation into Fonnie Willis. He's also calling for provisions in the spending bill that would change how the Justice Department can use money. That includes barring the DOJ from conducting a politically sensitive investigation, which includes political candidates and family until the Department of Justice establishes a policy requiring nonpartisan career staff to oversee such investigations. No mention of whether or not that standard would apply to his party's investigation into another presidential candidate named Joe Biden. Joining me now is Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist and former spokesperson for the House Oversight Committee. Oh, Kurt. Oh, Kurt. <laughs> Here we are again. They want to defund the police? How about that? What's up with that? I thought they were against defunding the police. Well, listen, you have to understand that when a, a Republican is in the line of fire, right. then, then law enforcement needs to back and off. Like, you're going after the wrong people here. Right. When a Democrat is is under you know under scrutiny investigation, well, that's okay. That, 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 they, they want that. I mean, it is the complete overt partisanship of justice that the legislative branch is now trying to dictate to the judicial branch how they should conduct their investigations, who they should target. And if they don't do it that way— they're going to defund them. That kind of sounds like extortion. It kind of sounds like extortion. But let, let's talk about why they're doing it. So obviously, Donald Trump is on the road to becoming the nominee. He's overwhelmingly beating the pants off of all of his other uh, you know, opponents. So, so, so their assumption is he's going to be the nominee. Yeah. If he's president, is the point of this to get pardons? Because some of these people that I've named... Yeah, we're kind of involved in the insurrection. I mean, I, I, I seem to remember during the January 6th Select Committee's work, the committee issuing subpoenas to members of Congress... Like Judiciary Committee Jim Jordan, uh-huh. like a Paul Ghost, Paul Gosar trying to get a cell phone. Because remember, there were reports that members of Congress helped some of these insurrectionists case the joint. Right. Like there are there there is a lot of information that we still don't know because these members of Congress, these people who love their subpoenas and investigations and depositions, that they never cooperated. So it makes sense that they are going to do everything they can to protect Donald Trump. Because if Trump goes down, yeah. maybe they could go down. So Kevin McCarthy is saying he's getting all his ducks in a row for impeachment. It's ridiculous. There's, you know, they're going to impeach Biden for being old. I mean, I, I really don't for, know what for existing for existing and being named Biden. And, and but but he it seems like he has to do these things. He has to let them go through these exercises of we're going to defund, you know, Jack Smith's office and we're going to pretend like we can defund state prosecutors. He has to let them go through the exercise in order to stay in power. Right. Is that the right. way to read him? Oh, yeah. I mean, again, after the marathon round that was Kevin McCarthy limping into the speaker's office, 15 votes, um, you know, and like you called it, I think, de facto speaker, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, it's like, these are the people who are actually running the show. McCarthy's just there as a figurehead. Uh, he's someone who wields no power, no influence. He is being held hostage by the crazy MAGA right extremists that are now part of the insurrectionist LLC that is the Judiciary Committee that masquerades around and tries to use the guise of congressional power to justify their political witch hunts. And McCarthy's going to sit there and rubber stamp it because if yeah. the minute that he doesn't do what they want and this stuff, So you used to be a staffer on oversight back when you were with the other party. And I wonder if there is any real politic at all in, I mean, none of this would pass the Senate. You can do whatever you want. You're just going to muck up the bill, the overall spending bill that's got to go between the House and the Senate has to emerge from the House. But none of this is actually going to become law. They're not going to defund Jack Smith. They cannot force Fonnie Willis or Alvin Bragg to concede to them or give them, turn over their investigation to them. So I don't know if you talk to still any 
Republicans or if there are any normies left in there. Does anyone understand that this is a waste of time and that they're setting up MAGA voters for further disappointment when Joe Biden is not carted off to Guantanamo Listen, if Bay? If you talk to any staffer that works at any of these committees, and a lot of them who work there now worked with me back in the day at the yeah. Oversight Committee, uh, whenever now and again, we actually did real oversight, believe it or not. Uh, no one thinks that this is actually going to end in an actual victory for them. No one thinks that the American people are going to just wake up and rally around their cause thinking, you know what, despite the fact that we always talk about things like health care, women's rights, the economy, jobs, trying to make the world a better place, not getting killed at schools with guns, we're going to somehow think that impeaching Joe Biden with no evidence and no evidence of any wrongdoing is a good idea. It? Then why do it? Because they don't have an answer for all the other stuff. We watched an election after election now. These guys just get waxed at the ballot just on the issue of women's rights alone. Yeah. And they don't have a good vocabulary. Oh, their answer so far is, you know what, we should go for a 15-week abortion. National like, They yeah. keep going more extreme. So they know that those policies are alienating them from every voter they're going to need to win an election. So the only thing left that they can think to do is the smoke and mirror show of the, the specter of these oversight hearings, the specter of an impeachment proceeding to just try to distract everybody away from their policies, which are completely out of step with the majority of this country. And the, the problem with that, though, is that when it, w- the, the voters that are MAGA believe this is real. Right. Right. They believe Donald Trump is their friend. They believe that, that, that he would reach to the TV and help them if he could. And he, can't, he doesn't care. When they don't get what they th- are being promised, they've already shown how violent they can get. And oh, that's, right. I think, what people in the national security world are worried about. When right. they get real disappointed, when none of this comes to fruition, we don't know what we they're We see every day on social media these MAGA people mouthing off and threatening to bear arms, threatening to and foment threatening civil the prosecutors. war. And we know yeah. that after January 6th, yeah. it's not just talk. It's yeah. real. They, yep, indeed. Kurt Bardella, thank you very much, my friend. Much appreciated. Up next, the mayor of Jacksonville, Florida, on how her state is becoming a haven, speaking of that, <laughs> for white nationalists under Ron DeSantis's leadership and how her city is preparing for the impending arrival of Hurricane Idalia. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. The American gun violence epidemic continues unabated. Yesterday, as the new school year began at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, students were forced to jump out of windows as the school went into lockdown after an armed gunman murdered an associate professor. Once again, America's run, hide, fight generation had to run and hide. This latest senseless act of violence comes just a few hours after we learned more about the white supremacist killer from Jacksonville, Florida. What we know is that he was asked to leave Edward Waters University. 
Florida's oldest historically black university, because he refused to identify himself. The shooter was seen putting on a bullet-resistant vest and a mask before he left campus and headed to the Dollar General store. What we didn't know was that just before he went to EWU, the shooter had scoped out another Dollar General earlier in the day. It looks like he he wanted to take action at the family dollar. That's what it looks like. And he did not because I think he got impatient and got tired of waiting. The sheriff said that they are continuing to comb through the shooter's manifesto, but reiterated that it was his disgusting ideology of hate that led him to gun down Angela Michelle Carr, A.J. Laguerre Jr., and Gerald Deshaun Galleon in cold blood. Here are A.J.'s brothers yesterday. Hate can be taught. Love, love can be taught, too. Guy just went to work, not even 30 minutes later, gunned down just for working just for being black. It's unfair. Joining me now is the mayor of Jacksonville, Florida, Donna Deegan. Uh, mayor Deegan, thank you so much for being here. Congratulations uh, on your uh, election. You're starting your terms in, in a rough way. Um, how is the community handling this nightmare? Well, I got to tell you, Joy, it's, it's the worst possible way to start. Uh, and uh, it is, we're, we're all just in grief. I would like to say we're in shock, um, but it's, it's hard to be shocked anymore. This community has been through this sort of violence again and again, and uh, it's really just too much. We have got to start sending a message loud and clear that we just simply will not accept this kind of hate, especially in our community. I ran on a, on a message of unity. Uh, and, but unity has to come with truth. And I think that it's going to be very, very important for us to all face some hard truths and to really speak to each other, look at each other. And um, if we're ever going to get to each other's humanity, we got a long way to go. Uh, State Representative uh, Nixon uh, yesterday, um, you know, who represents this area, was on with us. And she said that Mayor DeSantis has blood on his hands. Uh, She blamed his rhetoric, his policies, his anti-blackness and the way that he's run, uh, conducted himself as governor for setting the stage and creating the atmosphere um, that produced an event like this. What do you say to that? Well, Representative Nixon has been right there in the thick of it. You know, there are so many times that she has tried to gain resources for this community, tried to face some of these issues. And and as you know, that that has not been successful under this governor. So she's she's had a lot of frustration. I don't pretend to know what is in the governor's heart. Uh, I simply know that uh, what we're facing here in Jacksonville with with this hate against the black community, every step that we take uh, in the wrong direction is a step that takes us closer to the next incident. And we simply cannot have it anymore, Joy. We've got to start facing the reality that we have hate in this state that that we need to address and that we need to loudly and clearly say is not acceptable. Let me let me play the reception that the governor got when he did what a lot of people believe was simply a photo op uh, showing up at a vigil for the Jacksonville dead. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is here. We're going to ask the governor if he would come down and turn the mark. you just a couple of questions uh, about this governor's response here. When when this initially happened, he said that he called the sheriff. He did not say that he called you. You are the mayor. Did he call you? And how soon after he called the sheriff did he call you? 
I, I don't know when he called the sheriff. He called me a couple of hours before that vigil that you just saw uh, and told me he was going to be sending some money for securing Edward Waters University. We had a, a short conversation. I thanked him for providing that help for Edward Waters and thanked him for his call. I think one of the reasons uh, why he got that kind of reception is he started off by using the term monkey it up regarding his first opponent, his African-American opponent. And it's kind of degraded from there, saying black history had no inherent value, uh, banning DEI, um, attacking uh, it, it, you know, black history, saying black people benefited from slavery. I could go on. Do you understand why he got those boos when he showed up in the black community? Well, I do. And, and I, I, I dare say he, he may have expected to have that reception. But I, I will say that I am I'm personally glad that he was there because I think it's important that he come face to face with that pain. There was a lot of grief and is a lot of grief in that community. And he needs to see that. And, and as I said, you know, I'm sure Edward Waters University is grateful to have the money for security. But we have to go so far beyond that. You know, we were celebrating the anniversary of Axe Handle Saturday. Mm -hmm. on on the Sunday that we were there for that vigil. And and it, it just feels like these days we're moving backwards. It, it, it feels as if we're just using different axe handles, Joy. And yeah. and, and we've got to acknowledge that. And, and, and I think the governor being there to see that pain and to see that response, I hopefully, I'm hopeful that has an impact on it. Yeah, I'm not sure that you can even teach Axe Handle Saturday in Florida schools right now, but I'll leave that for now. Let's talk about this hurricane that is bearing down on Florida. Uh, is it expected to touch down in Jacksonville? Is it going to face? Is Jacksonville going to face uh, these storms? Well, we've, we've seen the track move further and further west throughout the day. So what we are expecting is tropical storm force conditions here. Uh, the worst of it's going to be further south toward Lake City and Madison. So uh, we're, we're hunkering down. Basically, we've got our emergency crews out. We're under a state of emergency, and we're just asking folks to stay home. There may be some isolated flooding and isolated tornadoes and a lot of wind, so a lot of trees down. But it looks like we are at the very least going to dodge the worst of that. Yeah, I, I lived in Florida for 14 years. So I remember the, the stress uh, that precedes these kind of events. Well, thank you very much. Uh, hopefully we can get down to Jacksonville and visit sometime soon. Uh, well, maybe when the NAACP lifts its hold, lifts its uh, warning about traveling there. We'll see. Uh, Mayor Donna Deegan, thank you so much. We appreciate you being here. Cheers. And still ahead, uh, Tennessee Republicans are again trying to silence Democratic members, specifically those who tried to speak out against their abuses and the plague of gun violence. Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones joins me next. Today, the Tennessee Legislature's special session on guns, which was called at the governor's request following a horrific mass shooting at an elementary school, adjourned without any meaningful gun reform. As the State House adjourned, chaos erupted in the gallery, with protesters chanting for Republican House Speaker Cameron Sexton to resign. <laughs> Now, you can see Representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson protesting on the floor as well. You'll recall that they are the two black representatives expelled in April for protesting gun reform and who recently won their seats back. Moments later, a scuffle appeared to break out between the speaker and Pearson. 
This comes after Representative Jones was officially silenced yesterday for talking out of order, bringing up mental health during a discussion of a bill allowing more law enforcement in schools. Jones had announced earlier in the day that he wanted to propose a vote of no confidence against the speaker. Representative Justin Jones joins me now. There's so much to unpack here, Representative Jones, but let's start with, let's start at the end, uh, this scuffle, because you all were expelled um, for having a, 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 a megaphone uh, on, the, on the House floor. The speaker seemed to my eyes to maybe have kind of assaulted uh, Representative Pearson. You could see him shove him. Is that not an offense that can lead to a vote of expulsion? Well, Joy, today is a very sad day for democracy in Tennessee, and all I can say is that the House is out of order under the leadership of Speaker Cameron Sexton, that it's a very sad day that we adjourn without allowing members to speak, that we're going to talk about what happened after, but what led to this point was that they, the Republicans immediately ended session without passing any meaningful gun legislation. They shut down any conversation, any debate, even allowing us to do a moment of silence for UNC, and, and immediately try to get out of session because they're afraid of public pressure. And so all session, Cameron's Sexton has pushed mothers um, of covenant and mothers who've been impacted by gun violence and refused to hear the cries of the people of Tennessee um, asking for us to protect kids and not guns. And so you were silenced uh, because you and I saw the, the tape of it. You were talking about mental health as part of the legislation that you were pushing, right? Is that the reason you were silenced again? I was saying that my district is asking for more funding for mental health and counselors in schools to pay our teachers better, not for more police officers in schools. And for that, the speaker said I was speaking off topic and I was silenced for the remainder of session. And if I was ruled out of order today, the speaker had threatened that I would be silenced for up to three days and then the next offense would be indefinitely. And so we still see Cameron Sexton, the Speaker of the House, acting as an authoritarian and silencing members, particularly the two youngest black members, from speaking because he's so afraid to have a real conversation about guns to protect our children in Tennessee because he's so beholden to the NRA and the Tennessee Farms Association. You had uh, released a letter stipulating that you wanted a vote, you want a vote of, of no confidence in Speaker Sexton. And I will just read some of it. It's from misrepresenting his residency. He doesn't live where he says he lives, where he's representing defrauding Tennessee taxpayers and wasting taxpayer money and other things. Talk about that. And do you think that is the real reason that you were silenced? Every member of my caucus knew that the reason why I was silenced by the speaker yesterday was because I was going to motion for a vote of no confidence in the leadership of Speaker Cameron Sexton, which is why when he silenced me, every Democrat in our caucus walked out of the chamber and said, this is a, a charade, a facade of democracy. Uh, the speaker was so afraid to have this vote of no confidence because he knows that he's leading Tennessee on the path of failure, humiliation, and authoritarianism. He is a disgrace as speaker. He is somebody who does not deserve to be in the speakership any longer. And it is sad that he doesn't even live in his district. The people across will deserve someone who actually lives in their district representing them instead of this wannabe dictator, um, Cameron Sexton. Where does this vote, this uh, push for a vote, no confidence vote go from here? I will bring it back up in January, the first day of session. He ended session today. I, I sought to be recognized. I raised my hand. I said, will it be appropriate to make a motion of, of no confidence in the speaker? He immediately called on his Republican um, flunky to make a motion to adjourn. And so we're not coming back until January, Joy. They're so cowardice that the speaker won't even speak to the people. He won't speak to the mothers of covenant who had their children terrorized and some of them lost their children because of a mass shooter. And he won't allow members to speak. He is not a someone who is courageous. He's someone who is a very small personality, who's very fragile in his 
power. And if he was confident in his speakership, he would allow me to make a motion of no confidence in his leadership. But he refused to because he was afraid because he knows that even his own Republican members are tired of his foolishness here in Tennessee. Uh, what, uh, and we also know that he removed uh, mom, mothers who were just holding signs quietly, uh, as you had said that he would uh, or was planning to and uh, let people have guns in. Uh, the hearing rooms. Where stands your committees? The last time you were on, you had not, you had been denied uh, being restored to your committees. Eric Holder is representing you. Where stands that? We're still waiting to hear back if I'll be restored to my committees for the regular session. Cameron likes to play, uh, the speaker likes to play uh, games of, of manipulation with his power, but he knows that whether he gives me my committee assignments or not, I will speak for the District 52 um, constituents who sent me here overwhelmingly to be a bold voice for change, to protect kids and not guns, to ban assault weapons, to ban high-capacity magazines, to fight for a community that is at peace with itself. And so I'll continue to be a voice for my district, and Cameron Sexton's time is limited as speaker, and we know that his uh, power is fading. I will reiterate our uh, offer to Cameron Sexton to come on this show and defend what does seem to be uh, the end of democracy in the state of Tennessee, at least as regards the House, the state House. Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones, thank you very much. And we'll be right back. Thank you. That's tonight's readout. Hey, everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow.